Welcome to the Stand Student Podcast, where we dive into important social, political, economic and environmental issues at home and around the world. Stand is an initiative for third level students and recent graduates across Ireland, supported by Irish Aid. My name is Emily Savage and this episode is all about the experiences of transgender students in universities across Ireland. On today's podcast, I'll be joined by Cameron Keekran, an NUI Galway student, if you're comfortable, can you just introduce yourself with your name, your pronouns, if you want to tell us a bit about your college degree, um, so what you're doing in college, and also if you want to tell me a little bit about the work that you do with your students' union as well. Absolutely. Um, so my name is Cameron Keekroon. My pronouns are they, them. Uh, I'm a current PhD student in the College of Medicine, Nursing and Health Sciences, um, particularly in the discipline of physiology, and I'm looking at stem cell therapeutics for Parkinson's disease. Um, I started off in college doing biotechnology and then I did my master's in regenerative medicine. So I've kind of been a science and medicine nerd for a while now. Um, I've also been involved with my students union and societies heavily over the last kind of eight to to nine years. Um, And I held various different positions from class rep to postgraduate taught officer to a full-time sabbatical role as the vice president and education officer. If possible, do you maybe want to tell me a bit about where you were at with your identity when you started in college and kind of like how that has changed as you've progressed through your degrees and, you know, the years that you've been spending in college? Yeah, it's kind of weird to to look back. Like I started college in 2012 um, and I was completely different. Like if you see a picture of me from 2012, like I don't look anything like I look now. Um, And I came from quite a rural area in Ireland, um, from the west of Ireland. I haven't really left the west of Ireland for most of my life. I kind of like it here, but I came from quite a rural place where in school there was no talk of LGBT plus people. There was no um, talk of you know gender identity or gender expression. And so I really had no idea what was going on in my mind, but I knew that I was different. Um, and I didn't really know how to express that or to even have the language to talk about that. And I came to college in Galway and it was like this explosion of other type of people that I didn't even know existed before um, or didn't know that they could exist. Um, And I spent a lot of my first year exploring different things and thinking about my own sexual orientation, my gender identity. I came out to my parents as gay in first year um, and thought that that was, you know, that was the, the thing I ticked the box I was like yeah I'm going to feel absolutely perfect after this this is all it is um, and I remember having a huge sense of relief telling them but also this still this huge sense of dread because it still hadn't taken away the little feeling in the back of my mind of there's more to this than just being gay um, and I really didn't understand at the time what that meant uh, but I went to an event called Pink Training which is the largest kind of LGBT plus weekend kind of training in Europe held by the Union of Students in Ireland. I remember going to that, it was down in Cork, um, and I, for the first time, met someone who was openly out as trans and happy and confident. And I remember thinking, wow, that makes so much sense. Um, And that I understand now. And so I came back to to Galway, um, and I remember sitting in my student accommodation, I remember texting that person and saying, I think I might be trans. And I did nothing with that for a year. That was all I could do for a year. That was that was the as far as I could go, but it was still a step in the right direction. Um, and so I spent another year kind of 
internally thinking about things and processing things and telling you know a few people here and there what I felt and um, talking them through with them but at the time it was very much you know it was a very binary existence um, in the trans community in, in 2012-2013 so the only information that I could really get was very basic information around um, female to male or male to female and nothing really in between um, and so I kind of felt at the time that I had to make a choice that it was either not come out or come out as something that still didn't completely fit me, but it was the only way to get to the next steps, I suppose. And this was pre-gender recognition that came in 2015. So the only way to access healthcare at that point then was, you know, in the legislation and stuff was like living as your true self or living at your chosen gender for two years which seems really daunting and scary to me. And then I didn't really know how I could do that or what that meant or how I could even go about proving that. Um, and so I kind of felt that I was in this kind of limbo of, I don't know if I'll ever get the supports that I need. And the university wasn't necessarily um, very understanding of trans issues at the time, not because they didn't want to be, but they just didn't know anything about trans people. Um, and there was very few open trans people on campus. Um, like I remember fighting with the LGBT society because they didn't believe we needed a trans officer because they said, well, there's no one out. So there's no one there for us to have an officer for. So that was kind of the, the culture at the time. And, you know, in the West of Ireland, it's sometimes it gets a bad name that rural people are very kind of close minded or small minded. And some of the most rural people were some of the biggest supports and advocates that I had in college. And some of the more urban people were the most close minded. Um, and so once I think you give people some time and some education, some information, a lot of the time they, they do become great supports. And I had some really, really good friends that supported a lot of the, the, the kind of the exploration of my gender that I did. I tried out different names. I tried out, you know, different styles of clothing. Some didn't work so well. There's some awful pictures of what I tried to wear in college and some did work better. I think I only really found my style in the last year. Um, but you know, as we got to say 2014, 2015, we were leading up to marriage equality, we were leading up to the Gender Recognition Act, which kind of skated under the radar in the shadow of marriage equality, which still kind of frustrates me a little bit because the legislation wasn't perfect when we were putting it through and people were saying this and it's still not perfect. Um, but it presented more challenges for me then because you had this Gender Recognition Act. I was already out at this point, you know, as a trans man to lots of different elements of my life, but not all elements of my life. Um, and then I had to make a choice. Am I going to go for a gender recognition cert because it makes more sense legally and logistically and governmentally wise to do that? Or do I wait and hang on and see, do they actually put other options in there? Um, and at this point, I kind of feel like lots of trans and non-binary folks could be international spies. Um, because I was out to all of my friends in college and all the people that I was within the LGBT society and in certain parts of the union. But I wasn't out to anyone on my actual degree program, bar being gay. So none of them knew that I was trans and I wasn't out to my parents or my family. Um, and so I was kind of leading three different lives at this point, which is very exhausting for, for one person to be doing because you're trying to manage who knows what name, who knows what pronouns and who knows what you're doing that day and what can you tell someone about what you're doing or where you're going or who you're meeting. Um, and so I really enjoyed my undergraduate experience, 
but it was very stressful trying to manage all of that. I came out to my family in kind of a random enough way. Um, I came out to my sister in a pub um, in Galway first, I think about being gay. And then when I came out to her as trans, we were at a pride event and we were both a little bit drunk and I brought her into my bedroom and I, um, I don't like Caitlyn Jenner, but at the time she was watching Keeping with the Kardashians. So I was like, okay, this is a good way to explain it to her. Um, and in my drunk mind, I was like, you know how Caitlyn Jenner is now Caitlyn Jenner? And she was like, yeah. I was like, I'm the same, but the opposite. Then I just like left the room. <laughs> I just left her with that. Um, and she was completely supportive and, and understanding. Um, her worry for me and, and my parents' worry was what was going to happen to my future. Um, they're still very scared for what it was like to be a trans person in Ireland. They didn't know any openly trans people from where we were from, from you know rural areas. They didn't know how I would react to, you know, people saying stuff if I was at home or um, what would happen if I was on a night out and someone decided to physically attack me or do do whatever. That's kind of where their problems lay. Um, I told my parents a few weeks later. They kind of always knew, um, which was nice. Um, because they had kind of done some research for the previous year or so to try and understand trans identities and what I was going to be saying to them. But I suppose that whole time, whilst it was great and I felt more and more senses of relief of coming out to them, I still kind of felt very shoehorned into this very binary existence. Um, and it's only more recently that kind of in the last two years that I've kind of come back to people and said, actually, I did this because it was necessary at the time, but I actually identify as non-binary. Um, and the way I describe it to people is like, my gender is so unimportant to me, it's important. Um, and I, I suppose that's kind of difficult for people who aren't in this sphere to understand. Um, but I kind of had this, once I kind of said that to people and kind of went, no, actually that is how I feel. That sense of relief that I wanted back in 2012 when I came out as gay happened. So, you know, it was nearly an eight year process to get that feeling and that weight off. Um, and I think that's just a byproduct of the time that I came out, what was available at the time. The university didn't have a huge amount of support. The LGBT society didn't really understand trans and non-binary folks um, in the city resources. Again, they didn't really understand trans and non-binary folks. So you're kind of navigating this by yourself. Well, it's also not really knowing a lot of trans people. Um, and so every year I went back to pink training was great because we had safe spaces for trans and non-binary people. And so I could talk to people. But, you know, I was only having those conversations once or twice a year. So, you know, I, I, it was very kind of few and far between that I was being able to talk to this with people that understood. Now that that's different, I know a lot of folks that are openly out as trans in um, lots of different gender identities and gender expressions. And so I can have these conversations quite often. I also think there's lots of things changing um, and lots of small villages and towns and communities are becoming way more supportive. Um, so I think it's kind of relative. Sometimes we forget that small communities can be really, really good um, and really supportive and can be the basis for why someone decides to come out of college, even if they don't come out at home. I am 100% respected in my lab, in my master's, all the way through it. Um, there's no questions about it and no one has ever had an issue with this. Um, so I think that, you know, there, there's that positives to it, that the, the culture has changed. But I think the visibility bit is still important as to how we, we, I suppose, encourage and empower younger trans people who want to come out um, to be visible and to be visible in a safe way for them.
I think it's it's really interesting to to hear as your the way your experiences have changed as your identity changed kind of from your undergrad right up to you know now being where you are as a, a fully out trans person has how that experience has changed and has that brought about any issues or opportunities for you throughout your college life yeah I think it's brought both to be honest I suppose I'm a lot more confident now than I was when I was in my undergraduate to address any issues that arise um but I suppose a couple that I can think of um both as an opportunity and as a challenge um I took up fencing so sword fighting when I was in college um, and I've been fencing since my third year in my undergraduate um, for the university. I started off on the women's team because I wasn't out. There was no gender recognition act. So you couldn't, you couldn't even change anything, to, even if you wanted to change teams. Um, so that presented some complexities um, because some of the people there would have known that I was questioning my gender and some didn't. And I kind of kept it something that I wanted to be like within myself at fencing fencing is kind of the space that I go to to not think about any sort of like activism work LGBT plus identity it's a place I go because I love fencing um and it's a very therapeutic place for me but it allowed me to interact with people that didn't care about my identity who didn't care about what I was studying in college all that much who there was no pressure to be anything other than someone that loved fencing um, and so it was a really great space for me. And I loved competing on the women's team because I loved the women that I was competing with. And they were really good mentors for me. And at the time, it was the right place for me to be. And then when the Gender Recognition Act came out and I had made the decision that for me, logistically and legally, that it was easier to have a gender recognition set that said male than it did uh, female in terms of we all know how shit the trans healthcare system is in Ireland so it was another thing that I had to do in order to get into that system so when I came back and said actually I prefer to, to fence on the men's team at this point because I didn't think it, first of all I felt more comfortable at that point moving to the men's team but I also didn't feel it was fair to be on the women's team at that point either and Again, fencing is a very niche sport. It's a very pretentious sport as well. It's kind of like the, the weapon that I do. It's kind of like playing chess, but physically. Um, so it's a very interesting sport. If you haven't watched it, you should definitely go watch some of it. Um, but I thought that they'd have loads of problems with me trying to fence for the men's team and move over because there had never been in college circuits a trans person who had switched teams. But Fencing Ireland were super supportive they knew exactly what they needed to do they got a copy of my gender recognition cert they got a copy of my deed poll and they were like off you go and that was it now the attitudes on the fencing circuit were different so fencing ireland were completely behind it but i did have you know a lot of things to face in the fencing circuit in terms of when you walk on peace people underestimate you because they're like, oh, you fence for the women's team and now you're fencing for the men's team. People using the wrong pronouns, people using the wrong name, people just not taking you seriously. And so I've had to work hard over the last number of years to prove myself as a fencer. Um, again, you know, I had to prove myself as a fencer when I started. But I had to prove myself as a fencer right all over again to gain their respect. Um, and I remember going to the universities and not wanting to leave the dressing room because I was like, 
they're all talking about me and I don't want to be out there. And the captain came in to me and, you know, the NUI Galway team is phenomenal um, in terms of the support that they offer. Um, and we have had four openly trans people on our teams over the years. Um, but he came in to me and was asking what was wrong and I was explaining to him. And he was like, you're going to do this, this intervices because you've earned your place here. But he was like, when you walk out of that dressing room, every single member of this team has your back. Um, and that's, you know, that, that was all I needed to hear to go out and fence. So there was different challenges with that, as, as well as that, you know, in the gym that we have in Anyway Galway before, there was no gender neutral toilet options, um, which was quite difficult for me, like pre and post um, top surgery um, and where I felt most comfortable. But I just worked with the, and this is irrespective of the union, I worked with um, the university and I worked with the Kingfisher gym, the manager in there. And we did several walk arounds the building to figure out where would be the best place to put a gender neutral toilet and how many did we need. Um, and they've been in operation now for two years. And the amount of people, even not even people who identify as trans or non-binary, that are very grateful to have those options because it's a safe and secure space to go to that has a shower and a toilet. So after your, your gym session, your sports session, you can just go in there. So, you know, there's been issues and opportunities, but I suppose for me, it's always been, okay, this is an issue. How do I address this? Um, this has been an opportunity. How do I get more out of this? Um, and I've worked with the university as well, alongside a number of other trans and non-binary folks in the university to help them create a gender expression and identity policy, which means that um, students don't have to go through a legal name change um, or gender recognition cert to go into the university and say, this is actually my name and this is what I'd like my college um, email and Blackboard or whatever it is to reflect. Um, and so that's a really handy process for people to be able to do those things if they financially can't do a legal name change or gender recognition cert at the time, or if they're still kind of trying out different names or figuring out what they want to do um, or how they want to do it. But it also allowed us to have conversations around trans and non-binary identities on campus. So it meant that we could talk about the struggles that trans and non-binary students faced around access to bathrooms, around access to supports, around the level of information that people have in university. I think that there's definitely more people who understand at a very basic level what trans and non-binary identities are than there was, say, when I started. But I think there's still a lot more work to do. But the university is much more willing to take training. So they've had Tenny in a number of times to train some elements of their staff to ensure that they understand to a certain degree trans and non-binary identities. Um, I've been able to work on a project that looked at the experiences of minority students, of which one cohort was trans students in third level education, both at undergraduate and postgraduate. Anecdotally, we know there's more trans students coming into undergraduate level and coming out and, and feeling supported. But we don't see that progression going from undergraduate to postgraduate. Um, and so, and we don't have any official research that shows the true experiences of trans students in higher education, but also the progression rates. Um, and I think if we looked at the progression rates throughout, you know, first year to final year, but also from final year to postgraduate studies, you'll see that trend get smaller and smaller and smaller of how many people actually survive a system. And I, I said this before, I'm on a, uh, an international network looking at gender equity in higher education. Um, and I wrote a piece for the university on it. And 
it kind of got me annoyed a little bit when I was writing it because I was thinking about like we set the bar so low for equality um, across the board a lot of the time where we diversely recruit. So we recruit lots of diverse people, but we don't inbuild the support system within the university to allow those students from diverse backgrounds to succeed. And then at the other end of it, we celebrate the 1% who get through as if, you know, the 1% getting through is a show of how great we are at equality. Um, and sure they had what it took because they went through all this hardship and suffering to get here. Um, and we talk about, you know, leveling the playing field for all different types of folks in university, but we really don't um, because we haven't changed how we teach. We haven't changed what we teach. We haven't changed the supports we have in universities that we only end up at 1% the other side of it, despite the fact that maybe 10% started, but we lost 9% along the way because there was no support structures in place. And having policies is great, um, but I suppose, you know, we still have students who are dead named in classes. We have students who aren't supported by their peers. We have students who are struggling with their mental or physical health as a result of being trans and don't know where to go to. We have support services that are kind of a little bit afraid of touching anything to do with trans and non-binary students because they don't want to mess up. So we have this, lots of these cultures that we need to change. Um, and they're all issues that I suppose lots of trans people at my point in education have already experienced. Um, and I suppose you've got two options. You can be really jaded by the system or you can still try to have those conversations um, with people. And, you know, like I try to link into the LGBT society when I can, um, I'm offering to, you know, talk to other younger trans people. I still talk to the university. I try and get involved in projects that allow me to have a voice for trans and non-binary people around inclusivity here. Um, and to be fair, by and large, they do want to hear the voices of students. And so, you know, when we were doing that project around inclusivity, I was able to bring at our symposium that we had in, in April time, was it April? I think it was April. Um, we were able to bring three trans students um, from different, you know, walks of life to that symposium where over a hundred academics were listening. So, you know, you can affect change and, and have lots of opportunities um, through the, the different things that you can get involved from your own experiences. But I think that if you understand that not everyone has to suffer the way that you did, you're more motivated to keep doing it. What other supports do you think that colleges should be able to provide to their trans students? Sometimes we, we I suppose, misunderstand what the goal should be in my opinion the goal should be that any trans non-binary intersex individual can walk into a classroom a lab uh, the library support services counseling the healthy whatever it might be and that their identity doesn't matter unless it's relevant and needed to um, and that it's not this idea of oh let's you know clap every time the trans person comes in so they feel welcome it's about making it as normal as being cis. And I don't like the word normal because no one's normal. Um, but that sort of attitude of why can't we just live our lives the way that we want to? We're in education because we're passionate about the topic that we're looking at or because it's a means to an end to whatever job we want to get. Or it's a stopgap before we go and do something else. Um, I'm not in a PhD because I'm trans. I'm not in a PhD because I'm non-binary. You know, I'm in a PhD because I really love science and medicine and how I can help. Um, and sometimes people forget that. They're like, oh, it's amazing. You're a non-binary PhD student. I'm like, no, I'm just a PhD student. 
Um, my identity is my identity and absolutely, and I, I love the fact that I'm non-binary and I wouldn't change it um, for anything in the world. Uh, maybe when I came out first, I kind of wished that I could, but I, I really wouldn't change any element of being who I am, but I'm doing a PhD because I love what I do. Um, and I feel so normal again, and I hate that word, but I feel so, you know, underrated when I go into the lab because my identity is just that it is my identity. Um, I go in and have conversations about science or a paper I've read or about medicine or about what we're going to do that week. Those are vastly more important conversations. Um, and I think once we recognize that there's vastly more important conversations that we could have as intellectuals in any sort of higher education. Um, and we understand that trans people and non-binary people and intersex people just exist, just like they always have. I think it will be a much happier experience for everyone. The last kind of thing I want to ask is if you could give any bit of advice to trans students who are now starting their degree or those who are already in their degree who are now coming out, what would it be? It's a great question. Um, I suppose I've got a few pieces of advice. Um, The first thing is that the only person that really knows the intricacies of your identity is yourself. Um, and no one else can tell you how to be trans, how trans are you, how trans enough are you, what you need to do, how you need to look, how you need to dress, none of that. Um, You can be trans non-binary in your own way, um, and it's a way that makes it comfortable and safe for you, Um, and that gender identity and gender expression as you come out could change and can change and evolve over time, Um, and to not be afraid to explore different elements of yourself, um, but also to find your allies in university, find people that understand and support you and give you that space of, it doesn't matter who you are, we like you for you. Um, and that might be through a society, that might be through your class, that might be through a sport or a different part of university, but um, there's definitely people in university who will support and will love you for who you are. Um, and the third thing is, don't take any shit from anyone. You know. No one can dictate to you what you should and shouldn't do. Um, You don't deserve to be misgendered, misnamed, uh, mistreated because you're trans or non-binary intersex. So if someone's not treating you the way that you're supposed to, find someone that you can tell um, that to and get that sorted or go to your union or go to your class rep or whoever it might be. Um, But just because you identify in a certain way doesn't warrant, you know, misuse of your name, pronouns um, or mistreatment in, in any way. Um, so yeah don't tolerate that thank you for that um i think it's really good advice to have i think that's this has probably been you know my favorite part of each interview as well is to get all the the bit of advice at the end of it because everyone has that little bit of advice that they can give based on their experience and when you put it all together i think it's such a great thing for students to have so I just want to say thank you so much for coming on and joining me for this interview and thank you to everyone for listening Um, thank you everyone for listening thank you to Cameron for joining me to find out more about Stand and the work that they do visit stand.ie